This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, training camp is officially here. The pads are on, people are hitting, things are happening, and Scheme Month rolls along with our final Scheme Month episode of this year. And with me this week, to tell me what exactly he sees in Mitch Trubisky's eyes, it's David Newman. Uh, Is it someone dying inside? Uh, It's basically Bears fans, collectively, dying inside, because this this may be greatest of all time quote in terms of uh, like thing that leads the category of greatest shape of his life is, is I think it was Cordell Patterson basically saying Mitch Trubisky's taken over. I can see it in his eyes. He's a leader now before last year wasn't a leader, but this year he is, you know how I know because I can see it in his eyes I Can see it. Sometimes you just have it. You know, we know that the quarterbacks, you know, some of them have it. Some of them don't. So apparently you can gain it in the off season only in your pupil though yeah literally in in the pupil you know somewhere near the sclera which is officially a part of an eye uh i don't know which part of the eye but it's sure. definitely a part of the your eye word for it uh it's it's true trust me uh, uh in my real work I, it actually coincides for whatever reason we have uh intersection with a lot of eye related things um and so i, I know that <laughs> i'm just gonna go ahead and leave sure. it at that uh let's get to the rundown because a lot of things have happened in 49er land now that there are um, well, practices and deadlines and they inspired action. And this is the first time that we're having a pod since George Kittle was signed to a fantastic extension. I'm so happy that he's going to be a Niner forever. I will not feel guilty putting my daughter in a George Kittle onesie now that I know he's locked up for the 49ers for the next six years. Mike Silver, he had a fantastic write-up of all of the considerations that went into the negotiations, a little bit of the back and forth. And a couple of important things came out from that article. One, is that Kittle really prioritized injury guarantees above all else. And that meant that he and his agent were not going to accept the April 1st deadlines that the 49ers love to include that give them the opportunity to get out of contracts. 
You think of the contracts the Niners have signed historically under Prague Marate, and you've got Colin Kaepernick, Pierre Garçon, Malcolm Smith, even Jimmy Garoppolo. They all have or had those April 1st deadlines in their contracts. It's the only reason. I, I mean, Garçon was signed to a five-year deal. Niners only did two of it. Yeah. And, and there's not a lot of dead cap on the back end of that. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick. They're, they're, they always gave themselves out. And, and really, April 1st is kind of a shitty date for a player because at that point, the draft is done. The free agency is done. Free agency uh, done. Dra- free almost ag- to the free draft. agency is done. Yeah. yeah, almost to the draft. And so at that point, the the team has a pretty good idea of free agency, and then they can just cut you, and that's that. And and Kittle basically said, "No, not going to do it." And the Niners understood that he's a special player, and so they they capitulated on that point. But it's uh it, it's good to know that he was like, "Yeah, I just basically want to play and not have to worry about getting hurt because the way that I play, I could totally get hurt." <laughs> I mean, makes sense. Seems like he prioritized the right things, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely a player worth making those sort of concessions for, right? Like, we've talked a lot in the past about the the things that the 49ers do creatively with contracts that do make them team-friendly, but kind of by definition, being team-friendly isn't super player-friendly. Um, and so it does kind of put some players like if you run into that in in a tough position i mean the april 1st deadline thing being so much later in the process after the start of the league year you know a lot of those deadlines um where teams have to make decisions on players come much earlier in the process and so players have a chance if they do get cut to at least hit the start of free agency and they have you know the whole market available to them potentially whereas if the 49ers kind of, you know, really wanted to and they they waited out till free agency is mostly over, they see where things land, who they're able to pick up, who they're not, and then make that decision. Well, then as a player, if if they decide to cut you at that point, you're kind of screwed. Uh, you know, you don't have yeah. really a huge market because, you know, if you're, you know, Pierre Garçon, for instance, you're a receiver. Um, all the other receivers have been snatched up. Teams that were receiver needy probably tried to address that need already. Um, and they because spent they their didn't, money. Yeah, and they didn't know if you were going to be available or not. And so you're kind of going into this depressed market, which can be, um, you know, kind of a shitty situation for players. And so, yeah, I think um, while a lot of those where they can get them are good for the 49ers and keeping flexibility and, and being able to get out of potentially bad deals if players fall off, like for a player like Kittle, you you just kind of do whatever you need to do to get him signed. Yeah, and, and this is why we, we said it repeatedly on the pod, but we were not worried at all about the fact that he would get signed. It was just all about the details of what was going to go into it. And in terms of overall dollars, this isn't a bad deal at all for the 49ers. It, it just, I think what it shows is that there were a lot of bad deals for tight ends in general before this deal. <laughs> and and I think that this is this is one of those areas where there may be a market inefficiency here just because of what the player can do and what they're getting paid. The Niners are going to get value out of this contract. Even if it were even if George Kittle were nothing but a receiving tight end and you were to take away and you were to make him just like a league average or even slightly below league average uh blocker in the run game, I think the team could make the argument that you're going to get value out of this contract based on what they're going to pay him per year and based on when you're going to what you're going to get paid in terms of guaranteed money. The the wide receivers that he's up against in this category are not like all world beaters here. And yet George Kittle is is very much in that same conversation as a pass catcher. But then when you throw on top of that what he does in the run game, and it's fitting that we're going to be talking about the run game in this ski month episode, you can see how his value then really begins to skyrocket above the $15 million a year that he's going to average per year. And and we I mean we talked about the the contract not being able to get much value once you start getting into like that 
17, 18, 19 million dollar a year category. And and he is not there. He's in yep. that 15 million dollars a year. And and the reason I think it's it's a market inefficiency is because of the scarcity of talent at tight end. When you think you can count the number of really, really good tight ends on one hand. And and then everyone else is going to be in some other kind of like, well, maybe you're a receiver, maybe you're a blocker, but very rarely are you going to get to a place where you have someone who's good at both areas or so good at one area, whether it be run blocking or pass receiving, that they're going to command this kind of salary. And so you not only lock up potentially the best player at the position who provides as much value as a, a tackle or a wide receiver, but isn't going to be paid like one. This is a valuable contract for the 49ers, and I'm glad that George Kittle is going to be on the team for a while. Right. And, and it makes I think it was his agent, right, that said, I'm not being paid to do a tight end deal. I'm being paid to do the George Kittle deal. Right. And it really is like it, it's very difficult to compare a player like Kittle to the rest of the tight end group as a whole, because, I mean, beyond the top, like, you know, few players at the tight end position, um, it, it's not a great position, right? Like a lot of guys, it, it like really kind of evens off after that. And a lot of guys are, are just pretty replaceable and, and you can, you know, find some that are a little bit better pass catchers, some that are a little bit better blockers, but you're, you're not moving the needle that much from player to player, right? You can really kind of just swap those guys out from team to team and probably get similar level production. Like that's not the case with Kittle. Like he really is kind of just a special case. You, you, it's hard to talk about him as just a tight end, right? Like the, the value that he does provide as a receiver, especially is, is kind of what really separates him from that group. And the fact that he can pr- provide like receiver level production, basically at that position really changes things. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think still overall a fantastic deal for the Niners. I'm so happy that he's going to be a Niner for a while. Th- there were a couple of other notes that came out of the article that I thought were interesting. One is, you know, one of the, I'll call it an Aparicio axiom for life. It's going to be like, you know, in the fine print on the family chest uh, <laughs> is deadlines inspire action. I think Andrew Brandt was the first one to put that onto the Twitter sphere, uh, former GM for the Packers, who's now very prominent on Twitter. The, the deadline I think that everyone missed is that August 17th was the date when the pads came on. And that's when Kittle's injury risk skyrocketed. And so that's really the date they needed to have this deal done by, which is why it was done by August 17th. But then you get the, to the idea of, well, maybe there was a possibility that, that you could exercise a nuclear option and Kittle would request a trade. And, and that's something that Betcha had, Betcha being Kittle's agent, it had previously hinted at with John Lynch. And apparently <laughs> when he hinted that, he was having margaritas with Lynch, and which is just a, a scene I keep replaying in my head. I'm just John Lynch <laughs> with a margarita. Excellent. Um, and one of those one of those stupid big bowl glasses too, you know, like not even like a like a just a regular like, you know, highball glass or a rocks glass it's one yeah. of those stupid bowl glasses with the straw that's like definitely not a classy margarita this is we're no. going it's like you know margarita monday and you're getting the giant bowl for like five dollars or something oh yeah yeah absolutely and like the glass is blue like that <laughs> yeah. bright blue yeah you know um and and he, apparently his direct quote was that'll never happen like as it should off, be off the table <laughs> yeah and just it's so many good tidbits definitely go read that Mike Silver story. Um, there's even a bit about how John Lynch got a bit miffed about some text messages that Jack Betcha sent him about the like congratulations on your extension, and uh, apparently John Lynch thought it was, he was needling him a bit. I mean, it's it's a really good story. You should, <laughs> I think, you should. I, I wasn't sure if you should have gone read it beforehand or if I was going to cover everything, but you should definitely go read it now. Yeah, there's yeah, there's absolutely. a lot in there. Um, other updates in terms of training camp stuff, and really, it's just at this time of the year, it's always injuries. 
Yeah. The Niners are really thin at a couple of critical positions. Uh, chief among them at this point is probably center, I think, mostly because of the importance that Kyle Shanahan puts on the center in his scheme. At this point, you've got, of course, an injured Weston Richburg. He tore his patellar tendon and had surgery and his recovery. He's probably going to start the year on the NFI list, which means he's going to potentially miss the first six weeks of the year. And then you've got Ben Garland, who started in the postseason and near the end of the season last year. He tweaked an ankle, may not be serious, but the the Niners had drafted some or had uh, signed some depth. Spencer Long retired after just three days on the team. Three days. And my question to you, David, is what did Chris Forrester do to him? Ooh, no, not touching that one. No, nope. <laughs> no, thanks. You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna tear that line. No. Nope. <laughs> Next question, please. Is it, is it black and white? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yikes! Look, all I'm saying is the fact that he is an offensive line coach is too fitting. It is too fitting. Yeah. I mean, the only uh, position. Yeah, but then the Niners signed someone who immediately enters the, the pantheon of great names for the Niners. Pronus Grasu is how I'm choosing to pronounce it. But this man's name is spelled H-R-O-N-I-S-S. Last name, G-R-A-S-U. Pronus Gasu. He started 13 of 18 games in which he appeared in over the last four seasons with Chicago and Baltimore. He's apparently in quarantine, making sure he's not given the players the Rona. They're even going back to Daniel uh, Daniel Kilgore potentially, and uh, and then of course Dan Brunskill is is still the man who at this point you've got to ask yourself if Dan Brunskill may be the most valuable backup on the team because at this point if a, if an offensive lineman gets injured it's like Brunskill can you do it <laughs> Let's and he's hope like he can do it yes <laughs> right I so mean yeah, it's scary worrisome. it seems like that he might be the best option right now right like and and I think you know with the offensive line especially. It really, I think, is important to not have just a clear weak link, right? I, I think you can get by at a lot of positions, especially in the interior. I feel like if, if you just have like competent players, right? Guys that can go out, do their job most of the time. They're not really anything special, you know, they're not all pros or anything like that, but just competent players all, all along the offensive line. And you're probably going to be fine because a lot of it comes down to more just like guys being used to working together, you know, communication, cohesiveness, like among that group as a whole is what's going to usually lead to more success rather than, you know, just having five all pros across your offensive line, um, which is obviously like an impossible task in, in the NFL right now. So having a, a position like center, which is uh, definitely more important in the run game, as we'll kind of get to here as we get to scheme on stuff. Um, but for Shanahan, especially like that, that is kind of a key position in what they do in the, in the run game. Um, and so if you just are completely devastated at that position, you have a player that just is is below replacement level, even like you're you're going to be in rough shape because teams are going to be able to take advantage and beat that one player. You're going to have four or five guys execute their job successfully on the offensive line. If one guy is terrible, the whole play is getting blown up. Yeah, you've got uh, K1 Williams, who's nursing a calf strain. That's not that big of a deal. But behind K1 Williams, you've got Jamar Taylor uh, because DJ Reed was the backup nickel. And and now DJ Reed, of course, is nursing a, a torn pectoral as a Seattle Seahawk. And so Jamar Taylor is now a, a veteran, sure, but someone who you begin to worry about, especially when you think to yourself, nickel is the new base. Nickel is the, the defense that teams are playing 75% of the time. So when K1 Williams go down, goes down, you're talking about a defender that 
is going to be on the field seven out of 10 snaps. And so that's definitely concerning. Uh, but then you get to receiver and receiver seems to be where the Niners are really hit so much so that they've signed a bunch of people they've signed. Uh, we, we, I mean, basically it's like, who haven't they signed at this point? And, and really the story so far is the quote unquote emergence of Dante Pettis. He had apparently a good day of practice. All the beat reporters were, they were a flutter about his performance. He caught Love somewhere near that. four or five footballs. He is reportedly thicker in the lower part of his body. With uh, two the C's, lower, right? Uh, yeah, thick with two C's. It's the only way we spoke the only way on we the do podcast. Um, it's Cronus with two S's and thick with two C's. <laughs> and, and so I, I want to be excited about Dante Pettis because if he's able to put things together and he's able to fulfill some of the potential that he was drafted with or that he was drafted because of, I think that'll be really good for the 49ers. But for me right now, Dante Pettis doing good things is definitely in the best shape of his life category of quotes. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, hard to put a whole lot of stock into reports from from camp at this point. Like, yeah, guys, some guys are going to come in there and look good and it's never going to matter. Some guys are going to go in there and look terrible and it's also not going to matter. Like, uh, it, it's just hard to take too much from those. But yeah, I mean, I think right now when you're talking about entering the season i mean it's brand Ayuk and, and dante pettis are really the guys i think you're probably trying to count on to lead the charge there among that group you know with the injuries that they've got so uh it's tough i mean yeah dante pettis is a talented player like we've seen him do it in burst right it's about consistency for him and about being able to put ta that talent to use like on a down in down out basis even game to game right like it's just it, it's so hit or miss with him so far and so it really is a situation where you just need to see it from him, right? Like all the positive camp reports, like, sure, I guess those are better than negative camp reports, but until you see it from him in game situations on a consistent basis, it's, it's, it's hard to put a lot into it. To me, I'm like, this is going to be the brand Ayuk show. Just like it's going to, they're just going to feed him nonstop. Yeah, I think they will. I, I do. It'll be really interesting to see what Kendrick Bourne does with this opportunity, because mm -hmm. at this point, you know, there are a lot of people that love Kendrick Bourne's game. And, yep. and Shanahan went out and, and went full hyperbolic on us and said that Kendrick Bourne was maybe the best wide receiver the 49ers had last year. Uh, the, he, I, I guess, is reading from the Jim Harbaugh book of motivation <laughs> and, and basically is, is just pumping Bourne up a bit. I, I think Bourne is, especially considering Bourne's an undrafted free agent, someone that, you know, for a while we were, were skeptical on and still to a certain degree are only because you know, it's, it's very much a volume and opportunity thing. And I think yeah. him as a person is probably the thing that everyone really is attracted to. And I think that's great. And that's something that can't be ignored um, in, in the NFL is obviously if you like the person, you're going to give them opportunities. And that's, that's a big deal. It is. Um, but at this point, you're dealing with a wide receiving core that is by all, uh, by all accounts decimated. I mean, you've got a rookie and you've got Kendrick Bourne and you've got a second round draft pick who hasn't fulfilled his promise thus far. It's it's definitely a reason for um, it's I think it's definitely going to test what Shanahan is going to want to do with that offense. And I'm glad that, you know, you've got hopefully McKinnon coming back. You've got, you know, potentially Jordan Reed as a pass catching option if he can literally keep his head on straight. And and you've got George Kittle. So it's going to be interesting. And hopefully these injuries don't last too long. But right. it, it, it's, it's consistently going to be a test for what Shanahan can do with his offense and what he can do with his players. 
Right. And, and it, at the very least, like it is probably one of the best offenses to be in to to have, you know, some depth issues at wide receiver because they do get into, you know, personnel groupings with multiple backs, multiple tight ends a lot more frequently than most other teams. And they're they're not putting three receivers on the field quite as much as is the norm um, in the NFL right now. So, you know, obviously, if it gets worse, that's going to be a problem. Like you, you have to be able to have at least a couple serviceable wide receivers out there and I think any offense or it's just going to be really tough but we know that Shanahan really does like to use tight ends uses backs in the passing game he can use those guys creatively and and you know get those kind of like more run heavy personnel groupings into pass look formations right where they can kind of show some different things there and use some of those other guys as effectively wide receivers right I think McKinnon is a fantastic example of a player that again if healthy if resembling the player that he was pre-injury could absolutely be used in that capacity where he can split out wide, run some receiver type routes and be used in that way. So they, they have options. They have the, the architect of the offense who is, is very much capable, I think of going forward and still putting together a productive offense um, without a ton of receiver depth to rely on. I, I know that I'm I'm really gunning for my dude Trent Taylor and his tiny little seven inch hands. I want him to do something here. But I think if you're looking for a player, uh, especially because uh, we haven't even mentioned Jalen Hurd, who uh, tore his ACL, and that's one of the other reasons that right. uh, this position is so thin. If you're looking for a player that could uh, slip into that final wide receiver spot, it's going to be Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings is someone that we broke down on the Patreon earlier this year. And and we really liked his game, thought that it was going to be tough for him to make the roster because of the backlog of players the 49ers already had. And now that backlog seems to no longer be there. <laughs> so Jawan Jennings, I think, is, is definitely a player to watch and, and watch the camp reports about that guy because Shanahan is definitely trying to add beef and size to the slot position. And, and that's where Jawan Jennings plays and plays fairly well. Uh, he's just really a player that is is savvy. And while not the fastest or the quickest, just is able to put enough sauce on his move uh, to allow him to get a little bit of extra run after the catch. Um, and, and he's uh, he's someone that I think could make the team and and provide some some help early given the position of uh, given the state of the position. Definitely, I mean, you, you hope that guys like that, right? We mentioned Bourne already is another one. I mean, so much of this receiver group, even if everybody was healthy, right, is like, okay, you're expecting Debo. You're expecting Ayuk as a, as a first round pick, those guys to have pretty solidified roles and to be a big part of your offense. And after that, it's just a lot of young players who you know could be good, could be bad. Um, you know, the guys waiting to prove themselves essentially. And so now you really do have a position where guys like Jennings, guys like Bourne, uh, Trent Taylor, if he can stay healthy, right? All of these other players who are young and haven't been able to put it together consistently, like really have an opportunity. And, and I think the 49ers just need to, you know, unlikely that all of them are going to hit, obviously, like they're not all going to pan out and be great players. But if you can get one or two of these kind of guys that were looking like bottom of the roster players to really step up and take advantage of this opportunity, like you're going to be in a much better position when you get your top guys back from injury. All right, now let's get to the scheme month portion of the episode. And this week, it's going to be, I know, the one you've been waiting for, the one that David has been prepping for his entire life. He's been really gearing up for this one. That's right, it's the run game. We're going to talk. Up <laughs> I swear that there was a clause in the Blue Wire contract that specified no run game. I I, I, I swear that was in there. No, no I, I believe the exact clause was, you know, run. 
<laughs> but I don't I don't think it meant the run game. I just think it meant you running away, which is why you became the permanent host. Uh, well, shit. Um, so, yeah, this is and lawyers get you every time. This is what happens know? when you don't read things thoroughly. You know, I know it's the, the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham and Howe. It's going to get you every time. <laughs> Uh, but the, in the final Ski Month episode, we're going to talk about Shanahan's run game. And as with everything, we're going to set up the framework of how we're going to discuss the game because it is, it is an ocean. It, it's, it's more detailed and more involved than you could ever want to get into the run game. And that's if you like the run game. And so we're going to really, you know, we're going to set the framework around how we're going to look at the run game and, and why we think it's an important thing to cover. So we're, we're first going to take a big picture look at the 49ers run game in 2019 and where it was successful. And we're going to take a look at Shanahan's base run concept, and that is going to be the outside zone. And we're going to talk about a couple of adjustments that Shanahan likes to employ with his base concept. And then we're going to talk about how the Niners game was, the Niners run game was a little different in 2019 than it had been previously under Shanahan and why those changes were effective because Shanahan is going to get the rap and rightfully so that he's an outside zone guy. But the 49ers run game in 2019 was much more diverse and we're going to talk a little bit about that diversity as we close out the episode. So first up, the big picture. And I think it's no secret to state that the Niners were a heavy run team. Only the Ravens ran the ball more frequently than the 49ers in 2019. San Francisco ran the ball on 48.6% of all plays. And, and even if you look at more neutral situations, that's when you're kind of excluding the times where the Niners are just running out the clock, uh, when they're playing Green Bay, when they're running the <laughs> clock out against Green Bay. Um, they, they ran the ball a lot. If you're looking at one possession games, during the first three quarters of the game, the Niners ran 50.3% of the time on first and second downs. That put them at eighth in the NFL. So while lots of teams want to be 50-50, the Niners very much strive to be and succeeded to be at or near 50-50 in terms of run percentage. And so while the frequency that the 49ers ran the ball might not be that big of a surprise, I, I think the efficiency with which they ran the ball might come as a surprise to some people because they, they really weren't that effective, right? I mean, um, now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of positive plays. We're going to talk about a good number of them. Um, and there are a lot of positive things that came from the run game for them in 2019. But on the whole, from a run-to-run basis, this wasn't a team that was just consistently churning out yards, right? Consistently every single time they handed the ball off. That really wasn't how their run game worked. It was a lot of volume. Um, you know, they handed the ball off more than just about anybody else in the NFL. Um, but what they were doing with the majority of those runs wasn't all that great. So when you look at kind of some of the more advanced numbers, 13th in EPA per play, um, now, they were very, very good in the playoffs um, in this respect, so that that did change. If you include playoff games as well, it does bump them all the way up to eighth. Um, but over the course of the regular season, just 13th. And then when you look at, at the percentage of plays that generated positive EPA, right? So this is more of a measure of consistency. How, um, the majority, how were the majority of their runs doing? They were 25th in that measure. So not really the most consistent run game. And again, that that remains true when you look at the more neutral situation. So even when you strip out a lot of those garbage time runs and the stuff happening in the fourth quarter there, um, when they're just really looking to run out clock and they're not too concerned about how effective the play actually is, that their efficiency is really the same in those. And once you get rid of that stuff, so even in the neutral situations, not necessarily the most successful run game, but they were really good. I think at doing one thing in particular. 
Yeah, if you look at what really drove the success of the run game, it was generating explosive plays. Those big chunk plays that we know and love that really that cause us to drink because they're a part of the better rivals drinking game. You know, if you get a 15 or more yard run, you're you're taking a drink and 13% of San Francisco's rushing attempts went for 10 or more yards that put them 11th in the NFL. On these plays, the Niners averaged 19.2 yards per carry, which was third in the NFL, and they scored 13 TDs, which was tops in the league. So the the story of the, the big picture story of the Niners run game is not one where you're going to guarantee four and five yards every single time you're running the ball for a lot of times. It really is a story of like two yards, three yards, three yards, two yards, 25 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's basically going to sum up what that what that game is. Now, there's absolutely some value in that. There's a lot of value in that. And the Niners proved what that value could be, especially when you're looking at games like the one they had against uh the uh the Packers, where I think Jimmy Grapple had like what, twelve attempts? There were twelve passes total for the Niners in that game, and they threw up a ridiculous amount of points. Um, so it's definitely not gonna be, I think, the the consistent story of this this run game is so good and they can do whatever they want. It's like the run game kind of gets bottled up until it doesn't, but when it doesn't, it's going to hurt you. Yeah, I, I mean, everything that they have is built towards generating those plays, right? Even when you look at the personnel they have and, and the running backs in the roster, the speed among all of those players, like it's really about generating those big plays where right? you want a guy in the backfield that when they get that crease and maybe maybe only you know, eight yards is really blocked up from the offensive line for for most running backs. But because of the speed they have back there, they can turn that eight yard crease into a 15 yard run. Right. Or or you get out in the secondary and it's a 25, 30 plus yard run. Um, so that's kind of how they have really built this run game really isn't to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Shanahan would love to be consistent in turning out positive yards every single time. But really, they they do seem to kind of focus on on getting these big chunk plays in the run game. Yeah, and that's great. I think big chunk plays are good yeah. overall. Um, but but I think it's important to note that the story of the Niners run game, especially last year, was not a consistent grinded out kind of run game. It was very much a big play explosive run game. And, and, and that's an important thing to note. Now, we're going to get to uh, a little bit of the base run concept from Shanahan, which is his outside zone play. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about Therawan. From tight muscles... Tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. I have so Not, many signs of aging, like I can't even begin to tell you, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm. I bought. I I didn't buy a Thera gun, but I bought like one of the knockoff Thera uh, massage guns, and I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest decisions I've made in the last week and a half. Since we talked about that, I've seen so many Instagram ads. I'm not gonna lie, they're they're because all up in my stuff. I picked up your phone and I whispered into it, <laughs> and and that's why Instagram. That's the secret magic word for Instagram. Yeah. Uh, but Thera One st- started by Dr. Jason Worsland. Thera Body exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help you soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created Thera One to bring you CBD products done right. Uh, you know who uses CBD products? Or the first the first time I saw, I came across a CBD product, my mom used uh, like see like little marijuana infused alcohol to rub on uh, to put like on, on rheumatoid arthritis. I was I was a very confused child. Nice. Uh, no, I did not drink it. 
<laughs> uh, a lot of CBD products claim organic, but this, but they still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts, uh, extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a night's sleep. Bonus points if you know what the hell the word tincture means. <laughs> call to action. Oh, man. What's your call to action, listeners? Now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. And if you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com forward slash bluewire. Man, if the Theragun thing is actually like buy one, get one, um, we, I, we should... I might jump on that. Yeah. We'll, I, we'll like, see I would say I like, might we throw could... in that promo code bluewire and, <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> Just wait till we get to pandemic. Uh, but Sunday, 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 uh, they're coming back in the NFL, hopefully for more than one week. Uh, with <laughs> NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV, Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right. Let's get to Shanahan's base concepts. It's the 1819 concept. It just seems like based on all the past concepts that we had, they're just like Aggie now and, you know, like choice and choice stucco and choice water. And like now it's like 1819. Give me a number. Yeah. Again, right from the beginning, the run game sucks. (laughs) Oh, wait. Sorry. We're trying to get you guys to continue listening. The run game's great. Let's talk about the outside zone, David. What is the outside zone and the outside zone run concept specifically for Kyle Shanahan? Right. So 1819. Yeah. Again, outside zone concept for Shanahan. Um, 18 being a call to the right, 19 being to the left. Um, and and this is, you know, zone run game is something that we've talked about quite a bit. If you're a longtime listener, we talked about this uh, when Shanahan was first hired, uh, because it's obviously a big part of what he does offensively. We talked about this way back in the Chip Kelly days because it was kind of the foundation of his run game as well. Um, and, and so this is kind of the play that really sets everything up in their run game. This is um, what they go to. Like it, it, it's still by far their most prominent run type, even as they do get a bit more diverse in, in, in that run game. Um, and so this is kind of, you know, I think what we're going to spend the most time on because this is really what the 49ers spend the most time on and, and what sets a lot of things up in their offense. You know, selling this sets up a lot of their play action game. Um, so it's really just kind of a big foundational piece of what Shanahan does. Yeah. So when you're thinking about the base principles for this blocking concept, you're really looking at the offensive line first and they're moving toward the play side and attempting to reach their assigned defender. So oftentimes when you hear about reach blocks, this is what people are talking about. It really is just as simple as the offensive lineman trying to reach their defender. So if it's a run to the left 19, you'll see the entire offensive line move to the left with their initial step. I can't stress how important this initial step is when you're watching the L22, when you're watching the end zone view, 
and you just kind of go back and forward uh, on that initial snap. You can see everyone's foot in lockstep moving to one direction, and that is usually the beginning for the 49ers of an outside zone. They want to get to the play side shoulder of the defender and cut them off, sealing them to the backside away from where the running back is going. So this is why sometimes it's difficult to do because sometimes your play side defender uh, on the play side shoulder is kind of far away. And this is why Shanahan really likes more athletic offensive linemen, maybe not the big 340-pound mauler, but maybe more of like a 310-pound, 295-pound offensive lineman that's a bit more nimble and a bit more athletic because it is really, really difficult to reach and reach with proper technique so you're not over your feet, falling over, or getting knocked over by a really, really strong and athletic defensive lineman. But if done successfully, it should allow the running back to reach the edge and get outside. Sounds simple. <laughs> but there's a lot. I mean, it really, yeah. in, in basic concept, right? It is really simple, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you as an offensive lineman, you take one step, you fire off, you try to get to the play side shoulder of the defender, which is the opposite shoulder from where you're at, and cut him off. But there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. And I suppose we should probably clarify right at the top, like play side, backside, right? So you're going to hear us reference those quite a bit. Um, it, it really is kind of a core language to talking about the run game. And so play side, all that means is that if I have a run call to the left, that left is my play side. So for every offensive lineman, their left side is their play side. Their right side becomes the back side, right? It's away from the direction that the running back is going. So you're going to hear us reference that a lot. Sealing a guy to the back side just means I want to get to the side of that defender that the running back's going, and I want to keep him away from where the running back's going, right? Push him more to the back side. So that's all we're, we're kind of saying with those. And so if that's kind of the first step, right, you're going to get all of the offensive linemen moving that one direction toward the play side, the next kind of, I think, core principle of zone blocking that you're going to see is, is you want to get as many combination blocks, or which are really just double teams, as possible based on the front that you're presented from the defense. And so the more double teams that you can get, the easier it's going to be for you to kind of control the defensive line and get the movement, get the, the space for the running backs to be able to get through. Um, Shanahan actually, so if you, again, if you listen to kind of some of those older zone episodes that we talked about, like we, there, there's like different names that you can give those combination blocks, right? Shanahan calls his, so his play side ones, um, starting from the inside out. So starting from center guard, then you get to guard tackle, tackle, tight end, tight end, tight end. If you've got two play side combination blocks are just called single, double, triple quad. And then on the back side, it's A, B, C, D. So it's actually really simple terminology for how he wants to do it. But again, it's going inside out, starting with the center. And each kind of pair of offensive linemen has a name for what their double team block is going to be. So that's kind of the language that they speak in when they're they're talking about these plays and looking at the fronts and, and seeing how they're going to kind of block this stuff up. And then the other thing to know about combination blocks is that they're all going to have a linebacker, a second level defender that they're going to be working to. So once you have that defensive lineman controlled and, and he's kind of where you want him to go, one of those linemen are going to be moving up to the second level to, to handle a linebacker. There's That's going to be designated, you know, pre-snap. They're going to know what linebacker that they're working toward. And really the key with the, the line play is that the blocking assignments are going to get set based on the center's block. 
The center identifies the defender he's going to block, and then the rest of the blocks fall into place from there. And oftentimes, this is why you hear quarterbacks or sometimes offensive linemen say, you know, Mike, 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 or you see the center point at someone, um, because basically that is setting the run blocking scheme as a cascading responsibility set from where the center is going to go. And oftentimes for the 49ers, especially on 18-19 on their outside zone concept, that center is going to target the Mike linebacker. And so there's there's an infinite number of variations based on the front and who the Mike is going to get to. And, you know, you can, we'll talk a, a little bit about those variations, but if this is part of where the center being really knowledgeable about what their responsibilities are based on the front, it, this is where it's important because if the center walks up to the offensive line and, and the Mike is not always the middle linebacker, it's the, it's the person who's kind of in that position or in that role. And if the center misidentifies that individual, it screws up the entire play. The entire blocking assignment set that cascades is going to cascade incorrectly. It's a little bit like buttoning your shirt and getting the wrong button and then you get to the bottom and you're like shit <laughs> you're like this is like my shirt's on skew i knew i missed one like but it's because you just missed the first one and everything else cascaded wrongly from there and so this is why the center is such an important part uh, of a scheme because it there's so many different variations to the blocking schemes based on who the, the blocker is that the center's got to get it right Right. And it really does kind of start with him. Right. So, um, you know, where with the 49ers and Shanahan, they like to identify the the Mike linebacker as kind of the base structure for how they're going to set these blocking assignments. If you remember back to the Chip Kelly episode that we did, he used kind of like a number system. So it's really common for everything to kind of start at the center. That's really where you work from and identifying who is blocking who on on whatever given play. Um, Kelly used a number system where basically the first defender to the play side. So if again, if they're going right, the first defender to the center's right was what he called the zero defender. And then from there, you just count it out, right? So the next defender was one, the next one, two, and the guards would have the one defender, tackles would have the two and on and on as you work your way out, right? And so this is just, uh, you're accomplishing the same things. Everything still starts at the center and then you're working out. But Shanahan, the, the big difference here is we're changing up potentially who that key defender is that the center is identifying, and then everything falls into place from there. And so really quickly, before we get to some of the adjustments, the running back rules, um, I always find the running back's targets really interesting. But the running back in this case is going to take a path towards the outside leg of the tight end, and he'll read one gap at a time from the outside of that gap in. Sometimes we'll hear this referred to as like, the end man on the line of scrimmage. Yep. But in this case, Shanahan's going to talk about the outside leg of the tight end. He's going to read that gap and then move one gap in at a time. Uh, and so that's really what the running back is doing, right? And and ideally, they're going to make this decision, make one cut and go. And, and they're going to hit that hole with speed and with aggression, and they're not going to dilly-dally and dance around in, in the backfield. But when when you get to the adjustments, this is where we get to how the Niners will declare the front. And really, it's just different ways the Niners can set the blocking assignments. So, David, what are the different ways the Niners that the Niners will sometimes set those blocking assignments based on the front that they're given? Right. So if we remember, again, the the starting with the Mike linebacker working our way out, that's kind of the base structure. Right. So if you think about it, like when we talked about coverages, for instance, you had to know kind of the base coverage rules and, and responsibilities for each of those before you can really start to understand the adjustments. And that's kind of what they're they're doing here. So the the mic declared front 
is kind of their base one that they work from. But from there, they can adjust basically every single block, you know, every technique on the different blocks, however they, they want to, um, based on what they feel like is going to allow them to best attack the specific fronts that they're expecting from that defense, right? And so um, how they declare the front, they can change that from the Mike linebacker. Maybe they want it to be the Will or the Sam. Um, there, there are basically six different ways that they can declare that front and all that's doing is going to set, again, who the center is targeting as the guy that he wants to work to. And then from there, everything else falls in place after that. So that's kind of the main way that they can do that. And, and a lot of their different, you know, kind of concept tags onto the 1819 series are changing how they declare that front. So that's kind of the first like big way. Um, but there, again, the, any number of things that they can look to to be able to change that run game how they want it to from that base version of it. They can try to go, so like by default, it's a strong side run. They have uh, tags that will change that and make it a weak side run where you're going away from the run strength. Um, they can change individual blocks, individual techniques, all of these different things um, they have available to them, the scope of, of what they can actually do in the run game. And I think this is why when you hear a lot of players like talk about why Shanahan is so good in the run game. It's because he's built in all of these options that really allow them to get, you know, his his blockers to get the best possible angles and, and have really the best po possible blocks in their arsenal to handle the different looks that they're going to face on, on any given game. And that's really the goal of a lot of the tags, because, I mean, even, even just now, right, we've talked about just the base outside zone run, which also has different ways to attack the front which can then also be flipped and run to the weak side. Um, or even when you get to the line of scrimmage, you can hear an Oscar call, which is just going to flip the play, kind of like you do in Madden where you hit the stick to the other side because <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, they're, they're overloading to this side, right? Um, you know, Shanahan's even built something into the playbook specifically for me uh, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got a wheezy call for his run game for a weak side run. He's got Oscar. I mean, we know that he's a big Wheezy fan. We know that he's a big Better Rivals fan. He's just enshrining the things that are good about the Niners, really, uh, in in the Absolutely. playbook. Absolutely. Um, but but yeah, the, and and that's and every one of these different tags is going to slightly change the way that you're going to perform the block for that run, just so you can get a slightly better angle on the person that's in front of you. And you've got to have all this stuff in your head. And you're gonna get a play sheet, you know, the the game plan a couple of days before the game. You got to know that that's kind of your scope, and then you got to remember that while you've got Aaron Donald staring you in the face, and and you've got to have all this stuff done and then execute. It, it's a lot. It is, and and like as an example of some of those things, right? So like one of the base rules that we talked about with combination blocks is that um, usually the way it's going to work is is kind of a base version is the two blockers are gonna really work to control that first level defender, the defensive lineman. And then they kind of wait for the linebacker to, to come to them. Or, or once they really have that defensive lineman controlled, then one of the, the blockers is freed up to move up to the second level and get that linebacker. But they have all sorts of tags and calls that they can add where maybe if, if the center gets, you know, for instance, a certain shade from the nose, where instead of really helping to, you know, helping the guard to control that player, he's just going to give a quick chip like he and, and so he, the guard needs to know that he's not really going to have a lot of help from the center on this. He's going to get a little bump from him before the center gets up to the second level. But for whatever reason, they really think it's important that the center is is quicker up to the second level so he can get to that linebacker. Right. So like that's just one example of things that they can adjust. They can maybe 
change the technique on the play to where instead of trying to actually reach the defender, right, where they're trying to get over to the play side and seal him so that the running back can get outside, they might change the technique to where they want to actually push that defender wide because they want to hit it up inside a little bit more. So any number of those things, uh, I, I think even getting into the receiver blocks, right, I think is interesting. They have certain tags that tells the receiver block that, okay, on this one, you have to block the corner, um, or maybe we want to leave the corner unblocked so that we can get extra support on the safety who's like creeping down in the box, right? So any number of things um, on, on all those plays with every single player's assignment on there, they can adjust even if it's just slightly with a tag or a call that, that they make once they actually get to the line of scrimmage. A couple of examples that really were successful. If you're looking at a couple of really like, what are the prime examples of an outside zone working well week eight versus the Panthers in the second quarter in the first quarter, uh, you've got a second and 10 Coleman picks up 41 yards. It's just another example of Kittle putting an all pro linebacker really on his ass. Uh, at this point, you've got to wonder whether or not Kittle put Keekley into retirement. Uh, I, I feel like it, it's it absolutely it's conclusive once you watch the play. Yeah, cause and effect, clearly. Uh, and then in the NFC Championship game against the Packers, you've got the second quarter play uh, with 535 left, first and 10. Mostert picks up 34 yards. We're going to break both of those plays down on the Patreon so you can get visual examples of some of the blocks that we're talking about because I know it, it might be hard to visualize uh, here on the pod. But I think one of the most important things or one of the more interesting things, I should say, from the, the run game from 2019 is really what's changed. Because it's, it's no secret that Shanahan's foundational run is the outside zone. It is that 18-19 run scheme. And they've got lots of tags and lots of things they add to it. But Shanahan's run game in 2019 looked different than it did in years past. And a big part of that was that he used gap scheme runs more frequently than they have in any other season in San Francisco. In 2017 and 2018, zone runs accounted for at least 68% of San Francisco's run plays. It's 73% in 2017, like really establishing that foundation. <laughs> and then 68% in 2018, a slight dip. But in 2019, that number fell down all the way to 54%, meaning that it was just half of the runs that they had. And, and what's a gap scheme run? Well, a gap scheme run is just a run where you are usually pulling a player to create an extra gap in a different part of the line than, than there was before. And that became a bigger part of what the Niners did in 2019. Their usage of gap scheme runs went up 20% or went up to 20% of all of their run plays. Their previous high was 10% in 2018. So his run scheme was more varied, even if you just take the variation of his outside zone away and say, what are the other types of runs you can run? He had more of those in 2019, and they were generally pretty effective. Yeah, and so as we kind of get into the gap scheme runs and, and what those are, we're really going to kind of focus on counter um, because one, I think that it's it's a play that has gotten a lot of attention um, is being specifically called out as something that the 49ers utilized more uh, last season. So we want you to know what that is specifically, um, but they also use power a lot, which is another very similar gap scheme run and and gap schemes, as you alluded to, is, is really about right. You're I think the easiest way to identify it is with the puller. So you're, you're getting those some very similar basic principles in, in each of those plays with the gap scheme runs where you're going to get essentially play side blockers. So again, if I've got to run to the right, the, the offensive linemen that are to the right side of the formation, those guys are going to try to block down, meaning they're going to step inside to their left 
and they're going to look to to whatever defender that they've identified, usually the one most directly inside of them. Um, they're going to try to block them down and really seal them inside and create some movement there so that you get a nice clean edge where we can hopefully seal off the backside of the defense. And then you're going to get one or two pullers with counter um, as we're going to focus on it's two pullers. That's really the, the kind of key differentiating factor between those two is how many pullers you got counter. You're, you're going to see two guys come from the backside of that formation and kind of lead the way for the running back. He's going to kind of uh, follow these pullers through the hole, through the point of attack. And you get this nice, you know, if everything works out well and, and everybody executes their blocks correctly, you get this nice little alley for the running back to be able to get through between those play side blockers who are blocking down and then your pullers who are kind of hopefully kicking everything out and, and giving you that clear identified gap that the back is going to look to run through. Yeah, and really gap schemes are all about kind of just getting more force to a specific part of the line and giving your player more options. Um, Because you basically have, you create another area that the defense has to cover. Um, And so hopefully you can choose to gain an advantage that way. Now, why the the counter play specifically is a good complement to the 18-19 outside zone? Really, because for most of the offensive players, their initial steps are going to look a lot like they do on outside zone. David talked about how everyone's going to block down. Everyone's going to move at the same time to the same place. And when you see that happen as a defender, you're thinking about keys. Okay, everyone's taking a playside step. I know that this is a heavy outside zone team. So I'm going to start to flow and I'm going to start to play this like it's outside zone. But instead, now I have an extra gap that I have to cover. There's more force in this area. Now the offense is at an advantage. They've got angle or they've got numbers where they wouldn't have had it if I was able to more quickly identify this item uh, before. You know, Usually for defense, your keys are going to be like, is anyone pulling? Is anyone moving? But even if it's pretty easy for a linebacker, a really, really good linebacker to say, oh, this backside guard's pulling, it's still the idea of giving you multiple things, even on a run play that look exactly the same and yet end up a little different than what you expect. It's the same philosophy Shanahan had in the passing game that he employs in the run game. And it's one of the reasons that his run game is a bit more effective. Yeah, it really is about, again, creating a similar picture for the defense. It was the same story that we talked about over and over when we went through the past concepts. It's the same kind of story here and why this is such an effective complement to that outside zone series, because really with with the exception of the pullers, the pullers are the two uh, in this, you know, in this case of counter two players um, that are the obvious ones who are moving a different direction from everybody else and, and who do look much different than what they do on outside zone plays. But everybody else, even the quarterback and the way he opens from, you know, the line of scrimmage, once he gets the ball, the back's initial steps, he's going to take an initial step like he's selling that outside zone to the opposite side before he kind of takes his counter steps back and and works back to where they actually want to run the ball. So those initial moments for, you know, if you, if you figure you've got what seven guys in the box, like five of those players are giving you the same picture um, that you're getting on outside zone. And it's only at the last second does that change. And and you realize that it's a run the other direction. Right. And so uh, it it is, I think really a perfect complement to what they do heavily with the outside zone runs. And was something they had a lot of success with. They had a lot of success with power as well, like um, which power basically all the same principles, just one puller as opposed to two. So, um, still getting a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same looks there. Um, 
And, and it was something that, you know, I think defenses weren't quite ready for because you do prepare for this team and you're expecting a heavy amount of outside zone, right? And that creates, I think, a certain mentality for uh, the defenders and that they're thinking, like, I can't get reached, right? I, I need to get my gap responsibility down. I need to really flow pretty hard to what I think is the play side so that I don't let these offensive linemen reach me. And suddenly when you're flowing that direction here, that's the complete opposite direction they're going to end up running when they go to power or counter. And and we're going to put a big Lexus-sized bow on, on the end of this discussion by saying this is why the injury at center seems to be kind of a thing that's weighing over the team right now. At least I think it's kind of a big deal because Weston Richburg, um, you know, I don't know that Weston Richburg is as fantastic of a center as maybe he's earning in terms of salary. Um, but Ben Garland filled in relatively admirably all things considered for Weston Richburg over the, the final part of the season, better run blocker than a pass blocker, but overall didn't play poorly. But now if Brunskill can't be Mr. Everything at this point, which he may be, and that's awesome. You're now talking about replacement level centers that are coming in and trying to fill one of the most important positions in Shanahan's offense for a run game that really does help power the overall 49ers offense. And, and so that's where I think it begins to get concerning. You hope that that Garland comes back and is able to to, to come back. And it sounds like it's just a, a, an ankle injury that's not terrible, but yeah. it's it's thin, man. It's real thin. And, and when you think about all the calls that the center has to make when they have to set the the blocking scheme based on the declared defender, whether it be the will or the mic, when you're talking about adjusting the blocking scheme based on the potential shade of the t- defensive tackle you're seeing, and how that cascades across the rest of the offensive line, in addition to just the volume of plays you've got to understand and consume to even get out there on the field, you begin to worry a little bit. It is interesting to think about, I think, how they adjust the the run schemes, right? I think you can go kind of maybe two directions with that if you're if you're not feeling as confident in your center. I think one, you go back to maybe that 2017 style where you are relying heavily on outside zone but you're just kind of stripping away i think a lot of the extras right and you're really getting to just kind of that that basic day one day two install stuff that everybody's really comfortable with and and you're riding that a lot so you don't overwhelm that center that that isn't as experienced or isn't as good um with more stuff that he can handle or i think you could also look to go maybe even more heavily towards some of this gap scheme stuff like that that stuff really takes a little bit off the center's plate, I feel like. Uh, you know, the gap scheme runs are a lot more defined, I feel like. Like, don't get me wrong, there's still adjustments to be made. You have to identify fronts and, and get kind of everything in order in, in a lot of the same way that you do um, with any run play. But it, it is, I feel like, a little bit simpler and, and would be a little bit less responsibility for the center there. So you could see them go maybe even harder towards implementing more of these gap scheme runs to give the center an easier time to do it. So I think yeah, regardless of whether they have, you know, Richburg back there when he gets healthy or, you know, whoever it is, it, how comfortable they feel, I think, is going to tell us, like, what direction they decide to go with how often they're calling some of these schemes. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks for tuning in for Scheme Month. This was a lot of fun. It's probably my favorite yeah. Scheme Month that we've done since maybe the Chip Kelly ones. I love the Chip Kelly ones. Chip Kelly one was a lot of fun. fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and this this felt very similar in, in our ability to dig into some of that stuff. And 
And I think being able to, to provide some of the visuals on the Patreon has been super fun as well. So next week, we're going to get into more of a regular cadence uh, where we'll talk a bit more about some training camp stuff, some more newsy stuff, uh, and maybe even start dipping into some team previews or do a mailbag. Um, you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Sports are coming back, David. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams at events. Major League Baseball back in action. And there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online. You may even wager on the number of unwritten rules that are broken yeah. in baseball when people are a crying lot. about giving up grand slams when you know what? Pitchers get paid too. Pitchers get paid too. Check out all the odds. <laughs> yeah, they get paid a lot. Uh, check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, bet online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had they to say are. about the Lakers dropping game one and what it'll be like to play without fans in the series they're calling Fandemic. Love it. It's, it's right up there with Logo Lillard and you know, Fandemic. It's just greatest, greatest things to be uttered ever. Uh, visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.